Welcome to our podcast Christmas special. We're delighted to present three snappy 20-minute episodes of opinion, discussion, information and ideas from two industry experts. We cover 5G, IoT and edge computing. Our first expert is Scott Stoneham, who is an independent technology analyst and connector. With a focus on technologies with purpose, Scott is passionate about discovering companies using technology to do good for the planet and all of its inhabitants. Scott's work can be found on www.wellthatsinteresting.tech. Please contact them via the website. Our second expert is Russell McHugh, who represents a number of startups in the US market in diverse areas, such as smart agriculture, IoT, and 5G managed service providers. Also metering, connected cars, and software testing. You can contact Russell via LinkedIn. This is a great fun podcast with two knowledgeable industry experts who dissect and analyze 5G, IoT, and edge computing trends over the three short podcasts. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. This podcast is sponsored by Netzer, Digital First Selling. During these times of COVID and falling telco sales, Digital First Selling is the answer to new customer acquisition, increasing revenues and cost reduction. If you are a telco, an MVNO or an eSIM provider, we have the ideal Digital First Selling as a Service solution for you. The Netzer Digital First Selling solution enables you to sell and onboard remotely. It will integrate with your BSS and OSS systems and with Salesforce and we meet all regulatory requirements. Contact pat.flynn at netzer.com so that we can understand your issues and provide you with the best solution. Licenses to run your boat. So, so is is has anybody done this up to today? Or is there any examples of this? Well, I think yeah, there are most there... of us. Sorry, Russell, you please go ahead, go ahead Scott. Yeah. No, I was going to say that there are multiple examples of it today. Factories, industrial um, centers, and in, particularly in Northern Europe, if we start throwing out some player names, you know, Kia, Ericsson, that this is what they do. Is they, you know they're pioneering the sort of the whole idea of building out these private networks. So there, there are many examples of it. And, you know, we're on the edge of seeing, uh, particularly in the manufacturing world, we're on the edge of seeing robotics and these uh, autonomous vehicles within factory environments that are going to become much more dependent on 5G or these 5G private networks. So that stuff is, is starting to roll out, uh, you know, a lot more seriously, okay. I would say right now. So, so we're at the start of the, of the of this being sort of common, common case in industrial plants or ports or transport hubs or something like that. Correct. And what about the what about the software? Is the software where does that come from? The core, the core software that runs the network. Yeah, so that's another interesting development, and I'll I'll just say as well for completeness that it was possible to run 4G technology in unlicensed um, spectrum as well. It just it just never really got the attentional traction that I think we're going to see with 5G. Okay. So your question about the core. So the core of the network is, if you imagine you've got your mobile device, connects to a base station of your, of your wireless network, 
that base station then goes back into all the kind of computing power a mobile network has. That computing power is responsible for access control, for billing, for provisioning, all of those wonderful things that make it possible for you to use your network, to use your mobile on the network. To date, most of that, nearly all of that has been done in the operator's base station, uh, in the operator's own data center, or through a partner, or through a specialist entity on specialist hardware, whether it's Ericsson hardware, Nokia hardware, NEC or Huawei. Um, not so much nowadays in Europe or USA, but you know, it's on those kind of on those kind of boxes. But with five G, there's this option to run that complicated, sophisticated proprietary code and software in on tradition on what you would now so called cloud cloud architectures on a AWS if you want Amazon Web Service or something like that. So it means that again, as an operator, you don't have to have all of this kit, all of this hardware in your own in your own networks anymore. You can just you know do what everybody else does nowadays and let Amazon bother running it. But I'm not sure how Amazon will run it for the operators, but we can talk about yeah. that again later on. I saw somewhere that uh NVNO in UK, I think, has moved all its core to Amazon. Just I, I read about it this week or last week. Yeah, and I think yeah, this is. I was always surprised that the the lack of diversity when it came to MNOs, and I think there'll be a, a new opportunity at, at MVNOs. I mean, sorry, I think there'll be a new opportunity, a new lease of life for new types of MVNOs. And let's explain that. So an MVNO is a mobile virtual network operator. So this is somebody who basically buys access, wholesale access to a, an MNO, a mobile network operator, so that they can provide that service to their customer under their brand. The UK example of that would be Virgin Mobile. They buy access to EE's network and EE manages all the, all the network, runs the network, and Virgin just buy it in wholesale access. So re- why I'm saying I'm surprised, and this is, there was a lot of attempts to go down the MBNO route in Europe. I think Germany was was very strong on MBNOs. They had, you know, the coffee brand Chibo, mm-hmm. Chibo. Yeah, there was a Chibo mo- uh, <laughs> uh, mobile virtual network. So if you were a Chibo, 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 I don't know how to say it. Sorry, um, you could have your own. If you were identified with that brand, you'd have your own uh, Chibo mobile phone or network. Whereas in the UK, it always seemed to be about either brand equity. So, you know, I'm a Virgin customer, I'm going to have a Virgin phone. Or it's about no frills, low cost, easy easy to understand plans, gift gaff, talk, talk, those kind of things. But what I think the real opportunity for MVNOs is as a mobile network, you're deploying this very expensive infrastructure across the entire nation. And you've got competitors doing exactly the same thing. But you're trying to be everything to everyone. And it's really difficult to be everything to everyone. So if you could say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to not play in the student market. I'm going to let uh, somebody else take all of the student market from me. They're going to run it over my network. So I still get a slice of the, slice of the business, but I don't have to focus my marketing engine on you know, attracting students. Sure. It's probably yeah. not the place I want to go. So then you have somebody else who's a very strong brand in the student market. It could be a bank, for instance. I know they play strong in student markets. Or it could be, you know, the students' unions or or even the university itself. They could be an MVNO and address that market. Now that hasn't really happened. But now if we take some of the things we talked about earlier on and some of the names we talked about earlier on, with 
the development of unlicensed spectrum with the ability to run the core in the cloud, mm -hmm. you're kind of decoupling a lot of what was originally tightly embedded into the mobile network. You're making it much easier for other people to do that. And if you're a strong brand, I mean, the, the internet service companies, Google, Amazon, Facebook, they have you know, these, these NPS scores, a net promoter score, in mm -hmm. the high 70s, which is really good. That's it's a very really high. high That's score. Very high, yeah. Mobile networks in the UK and you know, mostly across Europe as well, they're around six or seven. So an order of magnitude difference. A lot of people see buying airtime or access to the mobile network as a tax to using their phone rather than something valuable. Mm. So now you let, let, let's get Rosa in on this. What's Rosa? What what's your feeling? Is is this going to play in North America as well? What do you, what's the MVNO situation there? Oh, uh, on the discussion around the the whole world of five G, we haven't had you know the MVNO thing in the past in the US has been very very strong. I'm just trying to think of the likes of Amped, and so there has been a lot. I haven't heard a whole lot of discussion around the concept of the MVNO coming into the world of 5G, because right now here in, in the North American market, like I say, on the wide area side of it, it's the likes of Verizon, T-Mobile, AT&T, they're promoting, their, you know, they're trying to tie their brand to the whole concept of 5G. And the, the, the private networking side, you know, the industrial guys, they're starting to seriously look at it right now. Mm -hmm. So that whole area is starting to grow much more aggressively. You know, the, the idea of being able to set up a, <clears throat> a private 5G network on a factory or on a, on a campus environment or in a, in a stadium. So there's a lot, a lot of discussions around setting it up for stadiums and being able to, you know, take advantage of all these multiple camera angles and all that kind of thing that, that the high data bandwidth is going to give you. So that, you know, again, going back to that sort of industrial IoT, that's the discussion that's emerging here in North America right now and where 5G will enable, you know, we, politically, just to, to throw a little bit of a political wrench in here, the idea of bringing these factories back to the United States, they're talking about being able to enable those factories with, you know, robots and the, the, the autonomous vehicles that you need to operate them. So that discussion is, is, is very hot over here at the moment. And that's, you know, does, how does 5G play into that? The, the idea is to be able to quickly throw up a dedicated network, get that network planning out of the way, have some kind of a control. The, the, my understanding is that, you know, from device management and all of that, that's fairly straightforward in the private networking side. So I think over the next, say, year, 18 months, we're going to see a lot more discussion around, you know, private 5G networks coming of age here. So let me feed back to you what I'm hearing, guys. So the, the big monolithic mobile operator, by some strange lack of foresight as is a proven technology that's going to undermine them in the future in the sense that there's enablement of mvnos which well, there may be good reasons to go in mvno as scott just said but also a lot of the the potential site you might call site focused communications and that would be data and voice could be done privately via slicing the the spectrum around. So is, is this another – did the mobile industry shoot itself in the foot again, shall we say? <laughs> I, I don't think – you know, we're, we're jumping over timeframes here, backwards and forwards. So the idea of these 5G MVNOs, for me, that's quite a future vision thing. 
You know, I think we're looking 10 years out for that kind of thing. The idea of being able to have your 5G core in the cloud, that's coming, but it's from the operators I speak to, it's about third on the list, really. So right now, the focus is on what's called the enhanced mobile broadband. So this is faster speeds than a handset. This is fixed wireless access fits in there as well. And that's about faster, more stuff faster. And it's not just faster. It's about making, you know, one of the things that 5G does is it allows you to have more things going faster in the same area. So higher capacity. So as we're all using more and more phones to do more and more streaming and all of that stuff, you need that capacity. So that's a big play for them. Mm-hmm. The area that Russell's talking about, you know, the uh, the private networks, we haven't even touched on edge computing and mobile edge computing and fog networks and all of that stuff, which also coming in 5G. Right. I, I, I think that's a topic we should cover, but let's finish finish your point. Yeah. So okay. I'm saying that that's kind of the next step after after the mobile broadband. And right. this is where we're seeing a lot of development going on. We touched on ports as well. You're right. There's so much um, happening in the port of Rotterdam, so much invention going on there and innovation. Yeah, I did an article recently on um, some of the work they're doing to manage distribution of renewable energy across the border of Rotterdam. It's, it's, it's amazing. BT are in the final stages, I think, of setting up a, a system in Belfast, I think it is, in Belfast Harbour. It's really interesting to see how they position that. They talk a lot about kind of autonomous vehicles, connected this, connected that. But ultimately, what they're starting with, they're starting with connectivity, fast connectivity, and Internet of Things. So again, coming back to those things at the beginning. Okay, now, can I can I just throw something here? One of my bugbears is the idea that an autonomous vehicle requires 5G, but th- that an autonomous vehicle requires any, relies on any radio communication at all with a, palm, with a palmy because we all know it's not reliable. So is that just, is that uh, part of the hype cycle about 5G? Surely autonomous vehicles should be autonomous. So you could a year ago, maybe longer ago, you could uh, walk down California and you could see all of these autonomous vehicles driving around and there was no 5G. So yeah, you don't need 5G for autonomous vehicles. Also in um, a previous role, I was working at a company called IHS Market and we had a very big automotive division. So I got the opportunity to speak with some of the big brands and they were saying, if you think that we're going to hand over safety of our passengers to a mobile network (laughs) you must you must be out of your mind so no absolutely an autonomous vehicle needs to make decisions in its own right about driving and obstacle avoidance and all of that stuff however this is where and i think russell you did throw this term in as well earlier on connected cars so Mm -hmm. beyond the autonomous operation of of a car you're going to have a huge amount of connectivity and this connectivity is going to be for all sorts of things like uh, they call it see ahead or something like that, see further. Yeah, so non, idea- non-line of sight and all of that kind of thing. So so you're you're right in that sense. So the, the idea of the self-driving car is sort of one one bucket again, if I can use that word, of of those autonomous vehicles out there. So the self-driving car should able to power power itself these are the ones that you you were talking about seeing on the I, i've seen them and driven alongside them on the 101 south of san francisco for example you see the self-driving car and the engineer going along with their hands up in the air like this and that was that was all powered by onboard computing and and then what what you're talking about here scott is the the idea of having some kind of connectivity between cars 
that's the whole idea of this connected um, or cellular vehicle to everything, cellular vehicle to X, they call it CV2X. So you have line of sight, which we see today. When I'm driving my car, I can see everything in front of me. But with non-line of sight coming up to an intersection, for example, the CV2X will allow the car to see around the corner and see what's behind it and all that kind of thing. And that's another layer of sort of enabling this hopefully safer self-driving sort of world that we're moving into. And that's, you know, at this stage is a kind of a it's, a, it's it's starting to appear commercially and more and more car companies are actually beginning to apply it and, and put it into their cars. So again, that's one aspect of this whole idea of autonomous vehicles. Now, what I was thinking about more in the, in the industrial world is where you need deterministic connectivity. So if we talk about robots and we talk about other AGVs, these autonomous guided vehicles in, in a factory environment, we need to know that they have dependent connectivity, you know, to do their job to, because you don't want them off by a second or 30 seconds or whatever it is to actually get that. So they, they have to work on that kind of right. microsecond timing. And in the factory environment or in the industrial environment, 5G will enable that. And it will make the, you know, the, these factories as efficient as they are today. It'll make them way more efficient. Mm. Yeah. It's probably got to make them a lot more flexible too, because you know, clearly there's no wires, if, if you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. Then when it comes, Pat, you know, you're bringing up the idea of flexibility. You know, today you've got sensors in factories. They have to be powered. They have to be connected. Some of them have to be connected via Ethernet and all of that because of, regulations speed, and, yeah. and, and speed and, and again mm. that guaranteed connectivity that they have to have but in the world of 5g you're going to introduce tremendous flexibility the ability to change up your factory lines very quickly and all of that kind of thing because you won't have those wires that right. are going to be in the way so yeah but that's a slightly slightly different can, can i just can i just sort of feedback where i think we are in this which is really wide-ranging discussion here mm. and really fascinating so so 5g is coming we, we can see some things that are going to are already starting to happen, such as site focused 5G slicing, such as fixed wireless access for broad, uh, probably mostly rural broadband. And we're guessing, I won't say guessing, that's unfair, but we're estimating that there's other, other areas such as the autonomous vehicle, which won't rely on 5G, but will be greatly enhanced by it. Yeah. Where I else mean, can... Sorry, go ahead, please. So just on that piece, because I think it's important to say, I think you know, between Russell and myself, we've covered both the kind of um, passenger autonomous vehicles and the robotic autonomous vehicles in, in warehouses and things. Mm -hmm. And Ocado um, is, a, is a very big player in this space. You know, they're, they're doing some amazing things. Just to who's, try and... Who's, sorry, who's that, Scott? Ocado. Okay. Um, they, they're doing a lot in terms of robotic platforms for grocery stores and retails and retail. They worked a lot initially with Waitrose in the UK. So I just want to try and put it into some kind of perspective as well to give some context. A few years ago, I was working with a virtual reality company that was trying to create immersive family virtual reality experiences so you would go to this place you would all the whole family would put on the the backpack and the vr and everything and they would take part in the same immersive experience now they wanted to run this as in the same kind of way as maybe a cinema would run where you turn up and you go and have a bit of fun for a couple of hours or 20 minutes so so, so just for the the gas and for me what is that? Is that you put all this on and suddenly you're walking around the moon and you're fighting aliens, is, except you're actually... Something like that. Yeah, yeah, some, yeah. They, they didn't go commercial with this, so I can't say too much at the moment, but yeah. there are others 
there are others out there that, that do something similar. But the idea, yeah, the one that I experienced was a fairly stereotypical Jurassic world where it was mixed reality. So I was pulling levers, pressing buttons and seeing these Tyrannosaurus Rex you know, appear in front of me. And I could tell you for hours about this experience. It was amazing. But the key thing to it was that they could only have four people in the experience at any one time, which meant it was really difficult to monetize. If you can imagine a cinema where you can only have four people, it, it just doesn't work. And the reason for that was to do with how long it took to exchange messages across the network, and the network was Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. If they, if you know, they needed a minimum of two hundred or yeah, a maximum, sorry, of two hundred and fifty millisecond latency. So that's the time it takes to exchange these messages. And when you had a fifth person in, they needed something that was faster than the network was capable of. And the outcome of that would mean that if you had five people, people would bump into each other because they wouldn't realize where they were in the experience. Right. right. So they were limited by this thing called latency. Mm. Now, so, so, so maybe just for people who are, uh, you know, not en engineers like us who eat, drink and live this all day long, I would just say explain what latency is maybe in simple terms. And that's part two of our three-part podcast. Part three will be published tomorrow. I hope you're enjoying it. The playout song on this podcast was selected by Russell, and it's the classic Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. But I hope you enjoy it anyway. Grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Grandpa, we believe She'd been drinking too much eggnog And we begged her not to go But she forgot her medication And she staggered out the door into the snow When we found her Christmas morning At the scene of the attack She had hoof prints on her forehead and incriminating claws marks on her back Grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Grandpa, we believe Now we're all so proud of Grandpa He's been taking this so well See him in there watching football Drinking beer and playing cards with Cousin Mel It's not Christmas without Grandma All the family's dressed in black And we just can't help but wonder Should we open up her gifts or send them back? Send them back! Grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Grandpa, we believe Now the goose is on the table And the pudding made of fig ah, And the blue and silver candles That would just have matched the hair in Grandma's wig I've warned all my friends and neighbors 
better watch out for yourself. They should never give a license to a man who drives a sleigh and plays with elves. Grandma got run over by a reindeer walking home from our house Christmas Eve. You can say there's no such thing as Santa, but as for me and Grandpa, we believe. Sing it, Grandpa. Grandma got run over by a reindeer walking home from our house Christmas Eve. You can say there's no such thing as Santa, but as for me and Grandpa, we believe.